Amen. Y'all can clap for that. It's a yeah. Yeah, so, uh, man, if this morning couldn't get any better with celebrating baptism, God is at work in our church, and um, this might come as a surprise, but it's a pleasant surprise. Um, and so in August of this year, we'll be launching Upstate Church Anderson. Um, God has just been working behind the scenes, doing amazing, amazing things. Um, and I'm just thankful. I'm going to tell you this. And maybe, I know I have a, not maybe, I know I have a biased opinion about our church, okay? Um, but it is amazing to me how God has been working especially this last year in the midst of a pandemic when many churches are closing, many churches, um, they haven't um, celebrated a baptism in years. God is working in us and through us, and just the Anderson campus is a testament of that. And God's been working. We've, we have a great relationship with the Anderson, uh, with Anderson University. We have a lot of students in our student ministry that once they graduate, they go to Anderson. A lot of our worship team members, our students at Anderson, are graduates of um, of that of that school. Um, uh, the guy who spoke last week, Chuck Fuller, professor at Anderson. Um, I had several people call and to say how well he did, and then I was fired. So. Um, <laughs> This is my last Sunday, so thank you. I know this kid. But uh, God's just at work. And Will Bray is an amazing, amazing communicator. And so uh, just be praying for them. Uh, a couple of announcements. One, you'll see on the screen, we have a volunteer lunch. So if you currently volunteer or um, are interested in volunteering, uh, next Sunday we'll have a volunteer lunch right after this service um, in this room. We'll transform it, bring some tables in. We're bringing in Jason's Deli for lunch. And so if that's you, uh, you should have received an invite for that this week. If you would, just uh, RSVP for that because you will not have a lunch if you do not. Um, and so, and once again, like if you're kind of like on the uh, on the brink and you're like, I kind of want to serve, want some more information, just come. Um, we have free child care. The lunch will be free. Um, and so come, be a part of that, and register um, online for your RSVP in that link. If you need that link, come see me. And then I just want to re reiterate this as well. I know Miss Kathy did a great job um, sharing this, but I'm going to take the bull by, by its horns a little bit. Um, when you walked in, you had uh, some um, information on Easter. I want this to be an invite card. This doesn't need to just be something that gets stuck on your um, refrigerator or made into a paper airplane or a bookmark in your Bible, um, which I'm glad you're reading your Bible and need a bookmark, but use something else. Uh, use this as an invite. Um, we know that Easter and Christmas are easy, easy invites to our neighbors and friends and family. And so take this, use it as a, a great conversation. Hey, I would love for you to join our family. We'll save a seat um, to do that. As Miss Kathy said, um, just to create uh, a safe environment because um, we will have a lot of people from the community, a lot of guests here. Um, we opened up um, or created an 830 service. And so I would just ask that if, if you, you consider this place home, if you would either attend the 8.30 or the 11.10, because 9.50 is prime real estate, you know, time for guests with their, with their families. So do that. And we're also asking for a safe environment that you uh, pre-register. So you can do that at fbsimpsonville.org or watch this, okay? I don't like to do this all the time, but I'm going to do it today. All right, the ne this next screen is a QR code. So I want you to get out your phone, all right? One, I want you to register for Easter. But let me selfishly tell you why I'm doing this is because right now Harrison 
Bridge is beating us, um, and the percentage of people who have registered. I don't want to look like a slacker, and I would like to have some bragging rights for Dallas because he talks a lot of smack. You know that. I don't need to tell you that. So get out your phones, and if you've never done this, you can, through your, um, your uh, camera, you just put your camera up there like you're taking a picture. It will pick it up. It will take you to fbsimpsonville.org, okay? And you will, um, some of y'all aren't doing it. You better do it right now. I'll call you out. I have the microphone, okay? No, so do that. Go to Five Forks. Register for what time you and your family secure your spots. We want to make sure we have enough um, space and seating. And then hopefully tomorrow um, I'll have some bragging rights, okay? Um, if you want to register like seven times, I don't care. No, just kidding. Don't do that. All right, don't do that. No, just register your family for that. Um, it's going to be a great, great time. I'm excited. Uh, last year, if you remember, um, which why, how can we not remember, we had to close our campus because of um, the brink of COVID. So we weren't able, able to do Easter um, here at this campus. So I'm super pumped about us being a presence in the community. So invite, 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 and uh, of course, attend with you, your family, and friends, and all that good stuff. Is that good? Awesome. All the business out of the way. Let's get to the good stuff, uh, God's Word. All right. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, kind of recap where we've been and where we're going. Um, last, we've been in the last couple of weeks in this series called The Best Sermon Ever, where we have been looking at Jesus' most famous sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7, where he gathers um, the people of Jerusalem on this hillside and really begins to unpack what does it mean to be a follower of, of his. And so he unpacks a lot of different stuff. He navigates a lot of different topics um, from our righteousness being in him through telling the truth and loving our enemies and, and divorce. He talks about um, prayer. He talks about giving. talks about our material, materialism and how we should be viewing the things that God has given us, not to lay up treasures here on earth, but lay them up into heaven. And then last week, and I want to use this as a springboard this morning, Jesus hit this really um, crucial aspect of this illustration where he says there's really these two paths. And Jesus from the get-go says you need to choose the narrow way, the narrow gate, all right? He says, enter through the narrow gate. Then he unpacks and he says, there's another gate that's wide. It's really, really wide. It's easy to get into. And um, he said, but it leads to destruction. And many, many people will find this path. It's easy. They're going to go that path. And then Jesus tells the, the listeners and he's telling us, hey, go through the narrow gate. The narrow gate actually leads to life. But it's really, really hard. But enter that way because few will find it. And last week in our, our time together, we see that before he says that, Jesus kind of gives some insight on how to live a life that is on the, on the narrow path, on the way that leads to life. And you and I would agree that everybody wants a life, right? We want life. We want to have a good life. We want to we be happy in life. You know, you don't want to be miserable. I've never met someone that says, oh, that path that leads to destruction, that sounds really good. Sign me up for that. Is there like a sign-up genius that I can, I can, you know, register at? No, no one says, I've never met a person that says, you know what, I cannot wait to go to hell. <laughs> no one says that. You know, we all want to go to heaven. 
and we want to have a life that's pleasing. We, we know it's going to be tough. That's just a part of life. But we want to have a life that is that we, we, we want to be better parents than our parents. We want to provide a future for our kids and all these different things. But what, what Jesus is talking about is our eternity. And so if you remember last week, he kind of gives some insight. You want some life? Hey, first, recognize your own sin. It's so easy for us to point out the sins of other people, and we're like, oh, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, and be blinded by our own sin. And if you remember, Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before you start to point out specks in other people's eyes. And so he says, recognize your own sin. Then he says, depend on your Father. We need to depend on God. Easier said than done at times, but we, if we want life, we have to depend on God. And then he says, pursue Jesus. Pursue life in Jesus. And so we do that. Then he talks about this narrow gate. And this morning, what we're going to look at is that Jesus, he, he offers some good insight on really what's the evidence in our lives if we're on the narrow path or if we're on the wide path. Does that make sense? So follow along with me. It's only five verses, and you're like, thank God, you know. Um, but we, we see this in Matthew 7. Let me turn there because I lost my place. Uh, Matthew 7, and we, we have this week and next week we'll end the Sermon on the Mount. But in Matthew 7, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits." Now, Jesus gives this horticulture lesson, okay, to, to the people that are listening. And the very first thing he says is beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. Be, beware of people who are teaching things that are contradicting to the word of God, to the scriptures. Now, this was a popular thing happening then. Many people were claiming to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. People were worshiping other gods, um, uh, pagan gods, and doing different practices and different things. And so Jesus is making it clear to the people Hey, beware of false prophets. And then he begins to unpack this illustration of the two trees, that there's either good fruit or bad fruit. And what I love is that in this kind of this series that Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, he's given this com comparison and contrast, um, um, that's not a word, okay? Compare and contrast illustration. How about that? Okay, English 101. Okay, you do that, and he's giving these things. And he's like, hey, there's two gates. There's two, um, you know, trees that bear fruit. He's going to talk about there's two different types of houses. He's talking, hey, there's false prophets, there's sheep, and there's wolves. So he's giving these illustrations. And I don't know about you. I love these kind of things because I can relate to this. I'm like a visual learner. So it helps my, my little peanut of a brain <laughs> comprehend these things. And so he's giving this to the people to understand, and, and you really use this as a, a decipher of, okay, how can you tell if someone's really an authentic Christian and a true believer to ones who are fake or false prophets? 
And so he's given these things. And just a couple notes that I want to say before we kind of get into good fruit and, and bad fruit is I think we have to be very careful because, one, this some observations about false prophets is that there is a lot of people that live in 2021 that what I would say, whether they're pastors or just everyday people, that, are, that have a false assurance of their walk with God. And here's what I mean by that. And it's going to sound very judgmental, all right? And we, I want to be careful in that, but I also want to take the seriousness of what it means to be a follower of God. And I think there's a lot of people that we see day in and day out in our society, in our world, especially in the Bible Belt of the South, that claim to be Christ followers, but essentially it's just a cultural Christianity. It is a, hey, you're just supposed to be, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. You're supposed to go to church. And I, I go a couple times a week, and I, I might even give a little bit. But outside of that, there is zero evidence. There's zero relationship. They might even have what I call Christianese, you know, like the Christian language. It's like in the South especially. I know we have a lot of transplants from the North. But in the South, I mean, you know, I feel like everybody's been to church at some point with their mama and them, you know. It's like you went to church, you went to a VBS that your grandma drug you to, and you're like, I hate this, you know. I'm only coming from the vanilla wafers and goldfish, right? And so you go and you hear a little bit, and you kind of know, and, you know, even if you're not a Christian, you say things like, oh, bless his little heart, or, oh, you know what, you're in our prayers, and you've never prayed before in your life type thing. And so it's just a cultural Christianity. So we live in a, lot, in, in a world where a lot of people just say, hey, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, 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 that Jesus thing, I think it's good. You go to church, you know, I'm not going to, if you go to church, no big deal. I think good people do that. I'm a good person, and my default is heaven. When we look at scripture, and our default's not heaven, it's hell, and there's this reality that we're gripped with that's no longer just a cultural Christianity. And so we live in a world that a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to heaven, all this stuff. So we have to be careful of that. We also know that there are many false teachers that just as Jesus is pointing out, that look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. And so you and I have to be careful in the people that influence our lives and are speaking into our walks with God to be careful of how they influence us and what we're putting in um, to our minds and to our hearts. Just because a pastor has written books or has a podcast or leads a mega church, or has a lot of Instagram followers and is an influencer, <laughs> you know, all those things, that doesn't mean that they're teaching truth. And we have to be very careful with that. And I think one of the sad realities of the church, I'm just going to call it for what it is, it's the elephant in the middle of the room. We have pastors that have been caught as pedophiles. We have, and it, across all denominations, we have pastors that make a gazillion dollars and aren't preaching God's word. They're what scripture says in 2 Timothy, they like to tickle the ears. Sounds inappropriate, and it is, okay? And it's just one of those things that we have those people in us. And so we have to be careful of who is influencing our lives. And then my third observation is this, and I think this gets on my nerves the most just because I'm in the profession of being a pastor and the calling, is that on the outside, on the outside looking in, most people often think that false teachers are the real Christians. Now, one of the things I cringe at is when I go get a haircut. Now, 
I just go to great, great clips, so you can judge me all you want, okay? And you're like, yeah, I can tell. Um, but when I go, oftentimes it's a new person cutting my hair, and they're like, hey, how's it going? And one of the first questions they ask is, hey, you off work today? What do you do for a living? And, like, I'm going to be honest. A lot of times I want to be like, I'm a barista at Starbucks, or, <laughs> or um, I'm a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> because when I say I'm a pastor, I get a couple different responses in that. It either goes to one of two extremes. It is either, when I say I'm a pastor, people either think I'm like fire and brimstone, TV evangelist, like guy on the downtown Greenville corner telling everybody they're a harlot, they need to repent, and they're going to hell. Okay, I get that extreme. Or, for whatever reason, I get the other extreme and people think I'm Joel Olstein. all right? And, it's, and, and not like in a sense of like mega church pastor, but in a sense of like, I love you, brother, you know, like everybody's just going to go to heaven type, type thing. And it's so awkward in that. But if you think about it, in, in our society, people look to people, uh, you know, people in our world look to people like Joel Olstein or Joseph Prince or Joyce Meyer as like the voice of Christianity in America. And, and we have to be very careful in that. But they also look at the um, pastor who ends up having an affair on his wife with his secretary of, see, pastors are all corrupt. They just want your money, all this sort of stuff. Like, we had someone think, and I'm not going to obviously not say who this is, but they thought that on Sunday mornings the pastors collect the tithe, go to an office, and we just take what we need out of the tithe. Like, that is, that's not how that works, okay? I don't know if you, hopefully you're smarter than that. But it's like, we don't do that. And so, but people think that. They have these perceptions based on experiences, things that, that are in the news. And so false teachers often are like the banner of what people think real Christians are. And, and so the, I hate that. It gets on my last nerve. But I think in this, we see that Jesus is unpacking really um, this this deciphering tool or litmus test of how do you and I know if it's a false teacher, like a real uh, or a fake Christian versus a real Christian, an authentic Christian. Now, either way we look at it, we're not looking for perfection, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about fruit. If you notice in these five verses, he first says, hey, beware of false prophets. And he says, you will recognize them by their fruits, then he ends these five verses with the fifth verse. Um, Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So you and I, we have evidence in our lives as we're walking with God or not walking with God. That's evidence that people should clearly be able to say real or fake. They should be able to determine that about our lives. And so let's talk about what is bad fruit. What is bad fruit? Now, I'm not like a huge fruit fan. Like, we make our kids, like, eat fresh fruit, like, pretty much every meal. And then I sit down, they're like, Dad, why aren't you eating fruit? And I'm like, um, I don't know. I should. Okay? But have you ever, I, I do like apples. Now, have you ever, like, seen an apple? You're like, that looks so good. And then you bite into it, and it's like, maybe it's fallen or it's rotten or whatever, and it's like, in your mouth, you know? You, you, like, dry heave on it. Okay? And so this is what's tricky about the bad fruit. And this is why Jesus is warning, hey, they look like sheep but they're really ravenous wolves, that the bad fruit can be deceptive. It, 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 can, it can look good and appealing. I mean, think about the fruit in the Garden of Eden, okay? That fruit looks appealing, but really at its core, it's rotten and it's bad. 
So here's just kind of two measuring sticks, if you will, of to, to be able to help determine what is bad fruit. If that's the evidence, is one, um, bad, um, bad fruit for false prophets, false teachers, fake Christians, is that they twist or manipulate Scripture. They twist or manipulate God's Word. So um, oftentimes you'll hear something along the lines, they'll take things out of context. I've been, when I was a student pastor, I would meet with student pastors, They're, and like literally, they would have these conversations. Man, this funny story happened to me. I can't wait to share it with all my students. I'm going to find a verse that like helps me with that. And I'm like, so you're going to share your story and then like just find some verse to go along with your message? That's not how it works, all right? Look at God's word, and if there's like a relevant story that goes with it, great. To make it applicable, great. But don't try to Put scripture in a box to meet your little story because you want to be the funny guy. Also, we can't twist it in a sense where we take it out of context or we add and subtract scripture. Or, we, you know, some pastors, some teachers say, well, that's not relevant now. You know, like that just needs to be there. Um, you twist scripture in those things. Um, and so we need to be very careful with that. And, and Deut- Deuteronomy 12, 32, I love this. Everything that I commanded you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. And so I've seen pastors and have heard pastors. I listen to other pastors too, you know. Um, and I've heard some pastors use illustrations where they kind of insert people or us um, into God's word. And they make God's word all about us and man. I'll talk about that in a second. But they'll say, you know, um, when Jesus was in that tomb, you were there. And you kicked away that stone. Where is that in God's word? It's not in there. Or, hey, you know what? When, when David was killing Goliath, man, you, you are David. No, you're not David. David is David. <laughs> Now, you can look at it and be like, okay, God was with him. God could be, okay, you are not David. And so we have to be very careful how we contextualize and understand Scripture, not to twist it. And this is why it is so important as believers that we dig into God's Word and we know God's Word. One, because we're gonna, we want it to be in an intimate relationship with God. But two, when something crazy like that comes up, we're like, nah, that's not right. I tell, I'll tell you this. On Monday, I was on a Zoom call with a, with a person, we were in a group setting, and this person started to talk about things. And I'm like, that is not in Scripture. And so what, it's kind of this, this, um, this doctrine of um, God's Word. There's a, there's a vocabulary word. It's called the sufficiency of Scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. They teach it in seminary. The sufficiency of Scripture essentially is everything that's in the Bible is meant to be there. Nothing has been left out or forgotten. It, 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 it contains everything that we need to know to know Jesus, to know salvation, to grow in our walk with him, all those things. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to subtract from it. You don't need to be like, oh, that was irrelevant then. It is God's word. We can't twist it and false prophets, fake Christians, um, often uh, twist that. Which brings me to another uh, point, another evidence of bad fruit, is that um, fake Christians teach self-dependency. And this is what this kind of looks like in this. 
they, um, they kind of elevate the self, yourself. They elevate mankind and say, hey, it's all about you. Scripture's all about you. God wants you to be happy, wants you to be successful, wants you to have a lot of money. You know, it's all about you. And so what ends up happening is you become the main character in God's word and not God. And so now you're dependent on yourself. So much so, and this goes back to twisting God's word, you will hear people say, you know what? Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. Have you ever heard that? Not in the Bible. That is not scripture. Or, or God says, hey, you give all your money to God. He's going to bless you tenfold. I'll tell you what, go sell your house tomorrow. Bring the proceeds to the church and he'll give you a new house this week. Nope, probably not. That sounds dumb. Okay. Now, do we need to be good stewards of our money? Absolutely. Do we need to give and be generous? Absolutely. But, but we need to be dependent on God, not ourself. So you hear things like, God just wants you to be happy. Just trust your heart. No, Scripture says your heart is deceitful. <laughs> it's wrong. Don't trust your heart, you know? And so, um, and I think a lot of times with self-dependency, what ends up happening as an outcome is those people become very arrogant. And, you know, you're not going to have a false teacher actually um, uh, um, uh, confess that they're a false teacher. <laughs> and so uh, I think it's very, very careful in that. In John 6, 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. So as we depend on God... Our lives should be one that is dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that it's not our flesh um, as we follow God. It's depending on the Spirit of God. And so we see when Jesus is like, hey, you know, um, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's, you know, Jesus isn't beating around the bush there. So we have to be very careful on that. So let's talk in, this, in closing, what is good fruit? Now, Jesus says this in John 15, and I know it's, it's like 13 or 14 verses, but I want you to listen to this because it's perfect. It sets us up. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. And neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, I in him. He, is, um, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's the contradiction. There's, there's the biblical truth of contradicting self-dependency. You can't do it by yourself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you Bear much fruit, get this, bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. So you bear fruit, you bear good fruit, it's evidence that you are God, um, God's disciple, Jesus' disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment. To you love one another as I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. So we see that good fruit is this dependency, all right, on Christ and on his word. It's not self-dependency. You want to have good fruit? It's going to be someone who is walking with Jesus, not just attending church, not just, you know, reading a Bible passage every now and then. It's us walking and depending on, I don't have what it takes and I need Jesus. Have you ever had that moment? Like every day of my life, okay? And, and it's like, I need Jesus right now. And, in a, and with that, since we are, he is the vine and we are the branches, we are to be connected to Jesus in such a way that we are living and, and, um, and really processing through God's word. That as we are soaking it up and, and reading scripture, and let's be honest, there's times where I'm like, I have no idea what that means, <laughs> you know? But then there's other times I read it, and then three or four years later, I read the same thing, and it means something a little bit different based on the life experiences that I've been through. And Jesus is saying, just abide in me. Connect with me. Let me feed you. Let, let me help you stay healthy so you can bear fruit. Um, now that the weather's nice, all the guys in the room are like, I know, all the yard work I got to do. But I have some trees that were overgrown in our side yard, and I had someone, like, I just look at them, and I'm like, I hate those stupid trees. You know, I just hate pruning stuff. And the guy's like, oh, well, that's a, um, that's a crepe myrtle, and I knew that much, okay? But the, other, the, but the other one's like, that's a crab apple tree. And I'm like, but those are like cherries on it. Those are crab apples, okay? And then another one, he's like, that's a black cherry tree. I'm like, okay. And they're all overgrown. He's like, this is how you prune them. He kind of taught me all this stuff. So I'm like, okay. So last weekend, I'm out there. I'm cutting it all out. And then he taught me, you know, when you prune, you get all this dead stuff out. Then it can flourish and be healthy. And then some of these good ones that you're pruning back, did you know that three or four branches will grow out from the good prune? I'm like, I didn't know that. You know, this, it looks ugly. I'm cutting stuff because... Get, needs a haircut, all right? And so do that, and that's what Jesus is saying. He, this is what I love. When we're in God's word, he's going to prune things in our life that say, hey, you know what? That's some nastiness. That's some sin. That's some stuff that doesn't glorify me, but let's cut it off. And when we cut it off, when we deal with it and we repent of those things and we ask for forgiveness, God's going to bring some new health. He's going to bring some new branches, some new, some new things in our life to be healthy and promote um, Jesus to our friends and tell uh, our friends about him. But then I love this. We, when we get healthy and we're depending on Christ and his word, then we have fruit. And we know that as fruit of the spirit. In Galatians, I say this, just our last verse of this morning. In Galatians, Paul writes this, calling it the fruit of the spirit. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against those things, there is no law. So think about this. This should be the mark of the believer's life. This is the fruit. That as we're walking through life, people should see our lives and say, hey, they're known for joy. They're known for gentleness. They're known for patience. They're known for self-control. Notice Jesus didn't say, you know what? If you want to be known as a Christian, you need to vote this way. He didn't say, you want to be known as a Christian? You need to be um, on the streets proclaiming this. He didn't say, hey, you want to be a Christian? You need to make sure you attend church every single Sunday and wear khaki pants, okay? 
that are pleated. No, he didn't say that, all right? I just had to throw in the pleated because my mom made me do it um, when I was a kid. But anyway, you know, he, it's, not, it's, it's characteristics that, that should exuberate from our lives because we're reflecting Jesus. Why? Because we're dependent on him and we're in God's word. No one wants to meet someone who says, I'm a Christian and is the meanest person on the face of the planet. No one wants to meet someone and say, yeah, I'm a believer in God. I'm so close to God, but I hate you. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't match up. And so we have to look at these words and say, is my life producing good fruit? Now, we need to be careful with, those, with, the, with the, the bad fruit. We need to be aware of those things, influencing our lives, but let's take responsibility for ourselves. Is there evidence in our lives of good fruit? Not perfection, not that you have it all together, not that you're like some super Christian, but that you are pursuing the things of God to create a healthy life, to bear fruit. Because your maturity as a Christ follower, it is not marked on how much you know. You could read the Bible front to back as many times as you want. You can have, you can have all kinds of commentaries and know everything and know the Christianese and all the words to say, all that stuff. But what matters is not how much you know, but how you live for God and how you love other people. That's the mark and the evidence of good fruit. Let's pray together. Father, we want the evidence of good fruit in our lives. We know we have all met, and sometimes we are the people that are are really hypocritical in our lives. And people look at us and say, they're a Christian. I know people have thought about that about me at some point in my life. And Father, I pray that we are the real deal. In the midst of all of our flaws and our failures, we're not seeking perfection. We're just seeking, we're seeking dependency on you and your word. And Father, that as we pursue after you, God, will you let your character reflect out of our lives things like love and patience, self-control, kindness, gentleness. Father, let it not be about ourselves. Let it be about you. And so as we walk through the this week, God, give us opportunities to reflect you, not ourselves. Let us be more in tune as we dig into your word to be able to see uh, that's not in scripture. That's not God's word. That's not true. And Father, to be able to reflect in our own lives and say, I want to walk in truth. I want to walk where the Holy Spirit is, is, is in my life and allowing the fruits of the Spirit to come out. And so God, We live that life because you are powerful. And through your son, Jesus, you gave us life. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand and close in worship together.